At times, I think we may view the early Christians through rose-colored glasses. Because we speak so highly of the Bible pattern, we may at times neglect to remember that the biblical pattern was revealed to us through the struggles and problems that the early Christians had to deal with to learn who and what they were supposed to be. As we look at the early church, as presented in the New Testament, we do not find a picture of heaven on earth. Instead, we find people a lot like us, wrestling with problems, struggling with issues, going through unstable periods and times. And as we recognize that and look at what they did and what they dealt with, I think we can find some comfort for our times as we deal with problems and struggles and issues in our congregational life. As we look at the New Testament church, we find a church that was constantly and repeatedly dealing with problems. In Acts chapter 15, we find the church at Jerusalem struggling over pure doctrine as they wrestled with the issues of circumcision. In Acts chapter 15, And verse 3, being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy to all the brethren. And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all things that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up, saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. And of course, they met to determine what the Holy Spirit really said about this issue. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 12, we find that the church in Corinth struggled over having real unity. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 12, we find there that now I say this, each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? We can go to the letters to the churches of Asia and we find in Revelation chapter 2 and verses 1 through 7, the church at Ephesus that was struggling over having real devotion to Christ as Jesus had to remind them to return to their first love. We can look in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 12 on down through the end of the chapter and we find the church at Pergamos and the church at Thyatira wrestling over issues of fellowship and membership. Who should be allowed to be members and who shouldn't? We find in Revelation chapter 3 beginning at verse 1 Sardis wrestling with having real life Instead of just a reputation, as Jesus said, I know that you have a name that you're alive, but you're dead. And finally, we can see in Laodicea, in Revelation chapter 3, beginning at verse 14 and following, a church that was struggling over having true spirituality because they were so convinced things were good because of the material affluency that they had. All these churches struggling. As we look at the New Testament church, we find that this was not a picture of just constant stability, everything staying the same and looking the same year after year. In fact, what we find is that things were very volatile and very unstable. We begin by looking at the church at Jerusalem. Things were not the same there. Things changed constantly there. We find in Acts chapter 1 and about verse 15, 
that in those days Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples all together, the number of names as about 120. Here were 120 people waiting for the kingdom to come. And then after Acts chapter 2 and the day of Pentecost in verse 41, then those who gladly received His Word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. In one day, from 120 to about 3,000. That's amazing. What a change that was. And it didn't stop there because after that, thousands and thousands more were added. But of course, the instability, the change wasn't always growth. We recognize that sometimes it was attrition, it was loss in 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. John had to discuss those who had left the congregations there. In 1 John chapter 2 and verse 18, it says, Little children, it's the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it's the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. There were changes that took place. Things didn't look the same. Things were not stable. And both the growth and the attrition presented its own set of problems. The growth in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 6 produced a problem. The Hellenistic widows were being overlooked in the daily administration of food and that upset them. That happened because they were growing, because there were so many people flocking in. Can you imagine the problems there in 1 John though? with the churches to whom he was speaking, with the the difficulties that the ones who remained had to deal with regarding those who had left. All of these problems. But at the heart of all of this, and repeatedly and continually what they were struggling with, was not just whatever problem we can look at at the moment. The heart of the matter was who And what are we supposed to be? How do we live out this gospel? How do we exemplify what God wants His church to be? What are we supposed to be? It was all a question of identity over and over and over again. And that's why things were changing. Because they were learning what they were supposed to be. Now let's fast forward and look at today. We're about to come into a new year. As I pointed out this morning, next week, uh, Brother Dawson's going to be here in the morning. We've got a singing next Sunday night. So this is my last opportunity to preach with you. So this, for me, is essentially my year-end sermon. And that always provides us a good time to look back, doesn't it? And look at where things are. And let's face it, when we look back here, we recognize that we're a lot like those churches in the New Testament, aren't we? We have problems. We've dealt with problems. This congregation, over the past few years, few years, has gone through some very hard times. If we go back and look two years ago and look at this congregation today, we'll find that this congregation is not what it was two years ago. The family that was here two years ago has been divided and separated. And all the emotional difficulties, everyone here has been impacted by them. Even me and I wasn't even here when it happened. People have been separated from lifelong friends. Parents have had to stand by and watch as children choose another path. 
Children have been separated from their friends as parents have gone another way. And that's hard. That's difficult to deal with. But you know what the real issue is in all of this? The real issue is not what's been happening here over the past two years. The real issue is what's going to happen next week. And what's going to happen in 2004? And the real issue is an issue of identity. Who and what are we supposed to be as a body of our Lord's people? That's the question. I can't answer that question simply in one sermon. But I tell you what we can do. We can take just a few minutes And we can look at some issues that should be guideposts for us as we strive to be God's people. As we wrestle with that and struggle with that. I mean, let's face it, are we a perfect church yet? Anybody here think we're the perfect church? I've never been to one and we're not it even. And so we're struggling and we're wrestling with that, constantly striving to figure out who and what are we supposed to be. What's going to guide us on that pathway? I'd like us to look at eight guideposts that will help us be what God wants us to be. Guidepost number one. We need to remember that this is Christ's church. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18. The Scripture there says, And I also say to you that you're Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Whose church is he going to build? My church? Your church? His church. This is not our church. This is not some man's church. This is not the brotherhood's church. This is not some paper's church. This is not some school's church. This is Christ's church. And so as we strive to be whatever it is that we're going to be, we need to remember that. He is our head. And therefore, we must submit to Him in all things. We don't get to choose what we want to be. We must be what He wants us to be. And we've got to keep that ever before us. This is Christ's church, not ours. We don't get to do with it what we want. We're just stewards of what Christ is letting us use. Guidepost number two. Our duty is to glorify God. Look in John chapter 15 and verse 8. John chapter 15 and verse 8. In John chapter 15 and verse 8, Jesus said, By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. If we're going to be Christ's disciples, we've got to glorify our God in heaven. That's what it's all about. That's what our lives are about. That's what this church is about. Glorifying God. That's our duty. As we're striving to figure out and wrestle with all the problems that we deal with and wonder what on earth are we supposed to be and how are we supposed to live, first and foremost, we need to remember our job. Glorify God. 
We're not here to glorify us. We're not here to let everybody know about how awesome the Franklin Church is. We're here to turn folks toward God and cause them to glorify Him because He has done so much for us. And we couldn't do that for anyone. But God does it. And so we need to turn people to Him and glorify Him. As we wrestle with who and what we're supposed to be, as we struggle with that week in and week out, that's got to be foremost in our mind. What we're doing is about glorifying God. Thirdly, we need to remember that being like Christ is our goal. Look in Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at about verse 11, Paul said there in Ephesians 4.11, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into Him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knitted together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. What's our goal? To reach the full stature of Christ. To be what He is. That is our goal. As we wrestle with what this church is supposed to be, as we look to the future and figure out what is our identity, we need to remember that our goal is to be like Christ. To make everyone here and everyone we can become like Christ. Our goal is not to educate, entertain, or feed the masses. Our goal is not to remove poverty from this world. Our goal is not to eradicate disease. Our goal is to get people to become like Christ. And we're not there yet, so that means we've got lots of work to do. And that's where our work needs to be focused. Getting people to be like Jesus. To have the full measure of Christ, measuring up to His stature. We've got lots of work to do there, don't we? That's our guidepost. But fourthly, as we consider that third guidepost, we recognize that's kind of a daunting task, being like Jesus. That's a little bit overwhelming. And so that's why it's good to remember that Christianity is a growth process. We're not there yet. That doesn't mean we're lost and going to hell. Jesus recognizes that we're going to grow. Look in 2 Peter chapter 1. In 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 5. In 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5, the Scripture says, But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you'll never stumble. 
For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. How is the entrance going to be supplied? By adding to what we already have. By abounding and increasing in all of these things. Christianity is about growing. We're not there yet. But we're going that direction. And this implies some things we need to think about. If we're not there yet and we are growing, that means we need to expect to see changes. If we're not the perfect church, and that's what we're striving to be, if we're not perfect just like Christ, and that's what we're striving to be, that automatically means that over the next weeks and months and years and decades, what is this church going to do? It's going to change. There are going to be things we stop doing. There are going to be things we start doing. There are going to be things that we improve. There are going to be things that we twist and modify and change. Not twist and modify and change the Word of God, but just what we're doing to be in line with the Word of God. If we're not there yet, what's that mean? If we can't keep being what we are, we've got to grow and be better. Right? The guidepost about growing. Guidepost number five. We must seek first God's kingdom and righteousness. Look in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6.33, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. We've got lots of choices to make, lots of decisions to make, whether we're talking about as individuals or as a congregation. All kinds of things as we go into the next year and the years to come. We're going to be constantly dealing with questions that arise and choices. And, and what are we going to do here? And what are we going to do there? How do we make that decision? By seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. This is the guide for our lives. This is how we decide what we're going to do and how we're going to live and how we're going to work. What is God's rule here? What does God's will say? He is our King. And so we'll submit to Him. Seeking first God's kingdom and God's righteousness. By the way, do you notice how often this verse comes up? You know why? Just like we said in the sermon on this verse, if we get this verse right, everything else falls into place. This is a guidepost for us. Seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness. We do that by remembering that God gave His Word to be our guide. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. If I want to know what's a good work, where do I go? The Bible. If I want to know what I'm supposed to teach is doctrine, where do I go? The Bible. If I want to reprove somebody, where do I go? The Bible. If I want to convict somebody, the Bible. If I need to be instructed in righteousness, where do I go? The Bible. It's just that simple. This is our God. This is what God has given to us so that we can know what we're supposed to be. 
And as we strive to figure out and grow and be what God wants us to be, we need to be able to go back to the Bible and say, this is what God wants from us. This is our God. I am not the guide. Our elders, they're our leaders, but their opinion is not the guide. The brotherhood consensus is not our guide. What big name preachers say is not our guide. What some magazine says or some book is not our guide. The restoration movement and its preachers are not our guide. We're not the church of the restoration. It's Christ church. And His word is our guide. And we'll never be what we're supposed to be unless we follow His Word. Number seven. God wants us to perpetuate His kingdom. Mark 16, 16. In Mark chapter 16, excuse me, verse 15. In Mark 16 and verse 15, Jesus commissioned the twelve, saying to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And as we read through the New Testament, we see how that happened and we see what the Christians did with that gospel. They went out teaching the Word. They went out converting others. And that's our job. God doesn't want us coming into our holy huddle on Sundays and then going on about our business the rest of the week. God wants us to huddle up and gain encouragement so that we can get out and get busy working telling others about Christ and about His church and getting them to do His will also. That's what we're here for. To save souls. And as we wrestle with who and what we're supposed to be, we better include converting folks and focusing outwardly. You know, one of the things that somebody here has said to me is that I've never found a church like this one for loving each other. And that is awesome. Don't ever change that. But we can't get so involved in loving each other that we close our doors to folks who aren't one of us yet. We need to minister to one another. We need to love one another. But there's a lot of other folks in our area that need love too. And they need God's love through Christ. And we're the tools that He's going to use to get it to them. We need to perpetuate His kingdom. And guidepost number eight, as we consider this, is that we must not become discouraged just because there's going to be a bunch of people who don't want to be a part of us. Matthew chapter 6, chapter 7, and verse 13 and 14. In Matthew chapter 7 and verse 13, the Scripture there says, Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Jesus always promised that only a few would be saved. And that's the way it's going to be today. We're going to be busy teaching folks, but most folks aren't going to want to hear what we have to say. You know what that means? That means that typically we're going to be the odd man out. 
Typically, we're going to be doing things differently. We're going to be able to hear from all these other people about what really works to get churches to grow, but we're not going to be doing that. We're going to be hearing all these things about what churches ought to be involved in and ought to be doing, but we're not going to be doing that. Because we're just going to be doing this. We're going to be different. And folks won't like it. And you know what will happen? I guarantee you right now, I don't know which one of you it will be, but brethren, there's somebody here tonight that eventually won't like something we do as Christ church. And they'll leave. It'll happen. I mean, I haven't been around long, but I've been around enough folks who have been around a long time to know that's just the way it works. Because only few want to do what God's Word says. Most people want to do what feels good to me. I want to express myself. I want to have a good time. I want to do something that's more emotionally fulfilling. I want to find a good youth group for my kids. We want to be Christ's church. And that will provide everything anybody needs. But most folks won't want it. And so what we've got to do is focus on those who do want it. And help them grow. Not spend our time worried about all those who don't want it. And helping one another go to heaven. These are guideposts for what we're supposed to do. I don't know all the answers to all the questions that we face in our future. But I know this. If we follow these guideposts, we will become more and more like Christ. And this church will be what God wants it to be. And we'll go to heaven. And that's what I'm interested in. How about you? As you consider these things, we need to remember the principle found in Philippians chapter 2. Chapter 3. I'm struggling getting the right chapters tonight, huh? Philippians chapter 3. Beginning at verse 12, Paul said in Philippians 3.12, Not that I've already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This is what we need to do. Are we already perfected? No. But we're pressing on to that. We need to forget about what lies behind and start pressing forward to what lies ahead. Reach out for the goal so that we can go to heaven. Far too many churches spend all their time wishing for the glory years. We're not trying to regain the glory years. We're trying to attain the glory of heaven, which is real glory. And that's what we need to do. And brethren, that's what we are going to do. And I hope you all want to be along for that ride. Because we're going to heaven and we're going to take lots of folks with us. Are you up for that? Okay, I see lots of good head nods. Anybody give me an amen on that one?
Okay, very good. We pull out your songbooks, please.